Well, good evening. Um, so happy you guys are all here. I want to just congratulate you. You made it. Uh, you are here. Um, a lot of times, uh, Wednesdays get difficult because the whole day just goes. I remember when I first came to The Rock, um, I was working with uh, just the middle schoolers, and uh, we did most of our activities on Sunday mornings. And so my routine was pretty, um, I would work through the week to sort of prepare my talk for them, and then on Sunday morning, I would wake up, uh, and I'd put on some worship music, and I'd make a big breakfast, and I would just sort of like spend time with the Lord, and then I'd arrive at church, and then I'd like give my talk, and then I'd go home, and the whole, I had the whole rest of the day. And then when I switched from working just with middle school to working with middle school and high school, most of what happened with them happened on Wednesday nights. And so then all of a sudden, like, I had this entire day full of meetings and phone calls and traffic and, like, anything else that could go wrong. And then all of a sudden, 7 o'clock rolls around, and it's like, okay, like, I now have to, like, put on the Holy Spirit. Like, I have to be ready to, like minister to people. And it was so difficult. It took me like months to really make that switch. And so I always like, my heart goes out to the faithful people that come on Wednesday nights. It's like, you know what? You made it. If you got here late, if it took an argument to get here, like whatever it was, I want to congratulate you. You made it. And that's not a small thing. So thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for making it a priority. Um, I also want to take a quick moment and, um, and lift up. um, I just blanked on her name. Um, Sonia, thank you. Uh, Sonia is one of our incredible volunteers who helps us in the back. Uh, she puts the words up during worship and then the slides up during the message. Um, and uh, shortly before the service started, she had to run to the emergency room because she wasn't feeling great. I don't know all the details, but I know that we did get a text that said that it's, they thought it could be something really serious. It wasn't quite as serious, but they're still sort of diagnosing what it is and, and helping her. So we're going to lift her up in prayer real quick. Father God, we love you so much, and uh, we thank you that you love us even more. And Lord, it's your heart to see Sonia walk in full restoration of health, and so we just release that over her. We release your will and your word that says that she is um, whole and healed, and that there would be a positive report from the doctors, and Lord, that even now that she's at the, at the office, at the hospital, Lord, that you would reverse whatever went out of normality, that you would reverse whatever thing um, started to spike or rise or lower or whatever it was, but Lord, that you would bring it back to where you designed it to be, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Thankfully, because we have such an incredible... group of, of people, you guys are so, uh, have such a heart to serve. It only took us a few minutes to fill that position again, and you guys were able to see the words as you worshiped. But um, that did bring to our attention that, you know what, we would love to get more people that are willing to serve. And so if you are um, able-bodied, if you can click a mouse, we can teach you how to do it. It's super simple. But um, that position and many of the other positions that you see up here, they're volunteer. And so if you have a gifting uh, to do that, or even if you're just able-bodied, and can click a mouse. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to connect with you and and see how you could uh, fit in and and be part of our team that serves um, on a Sunday and on a Wednesday. And so for that, connect with myself or Luna afterwards and and we'll help talk with you about how we can get you involved. Okay, so with that said, we're going to jump in. Uh, Tonight is part two of the message titled, What's on Your Mind? Last week we did part one and last week we talked about how our thoughts determine how we respond to God. And this week, we're going to be looking at how our thoughts determine how we allow God to respond to us. Because remember, the Lord is sovereign, and ultimately, he can do whatever he wants. He's, you know, but uh, he is a gentleman in the regards that there are times that what I choose and what I think will change how I allow him to respond to me. 
Um, it doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change his character, but it begins to change how we position ourselves to receive from him. Um, and so that's what we want to look at tonight. Last week, to help catch you up to speed, uh, we talked briefly about um, how our thoughts can affect even the, the physical relationships we have, not just our relationships with our Heavenly Father, but even our relationships with other people. And, and I talked about how in my own life, there were times where I saw people and I sort of kept them at a distance because of my own insecurities or my own thoughts. I didn't think that we were compatible or I didn't think that we would hit it off, but that was just a misconception. And as soon as I changed my thinking, I realized how great of a friend I could have in some of these other people. And so we talked about how our thoughts affect the way that we respond not only to God, but how we respond even to the people around us. We looked at a quote from Frank Outlaw that said, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. And watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. We saw how this thing plays off. It seems insignificant to just like, oh, my thoughts, it's just my thoughts, it doesn't matter, it's just internally, but it really has this ripple effect where each wave sort of crashes and builds and it begins to affect the way our lives are because of the way that we are thinking. And we see this play out in, in the Bible in Philippians chapter four, in verse six and seven, Paul is writing to this church in Philippi and he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And what we looked at was in this, um, if you go to the next one, there's a few words that were underlined. We said, don't worry. And worry is a thought. Worry is something that begins in our mind, sometimes in our hearts if, if we're anxious. But, but we'll look at it for tonight's illustration. It's a thought. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray, which becomes a a word. And then it says, thank him, which is again, more words. And it says, um, then you will experience God's peace. And so we see how these thoughts becomes words and these words end up affecting our experience. Don't worry about anything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. So we're setting this framework. Our thoughts are powerful. Our thoughts affect things. Our thoughts, um, can dictate our experiences because of the way that we're thinking, both about God and about ourselves. It's affecting things. Our thoughts don't always change our circumstances, but they will consistently change our experience. So growing up in Texas, uh, I have a huge value uh, for barbecue, um, for food in general, but barbecue especially. Uh, Texas is pretty great at like smoking things and meats and like all sorts of barbecue sauces and, and all that really delicious stuff. When I moved to Colorado, I moved towards like the beginning of fall, end of summer, and so there wasn't that much barbecuing going on. But after I'd been here for about nine months, I'd made some connections, uh, had some friendships, and was more connected and more in community with a group of people. And so when summer rolled around, that nine months later, I started to get some invites to like some, some barbecues, backyard barbecue and summertime barbecue, and I got really excited. The first time I went... Um, I was so pumped because, again, like, I love barbecue, I love food, and I showed up, and I didn't see any barbecue sauces on the condiment table, and that worried me, but I thought, okay, well, maybe it's, like, you know, it's not just a bottle of barbecue sauce, maybe they've got it, like, homemade, and it's still on the stove or something, and then, like, the, the evening went on, like, the event unfolded, and there wasn't any ribs, and there wasn't any chopped brisket, and there wasn't any sausage links, and there wasn't any smoked chicken, and I really got nervous until I realized, oh no, I was not invited to a barbecue. I was invited to a grill out, which is very different. 
to a Texan, a barbecue has barbecue sauce and meats that have been smoked or slow cooked. And a grill out is like some burgers and dogs on the grill. Totally different. But when I got here, the first time I was invited to a barbecue, it was really just a grill out masquerading as a barbecue. And I was devastated. I was very, very upset. My expectation was way up here. And like the burgers and dogs were okay. Like on any normal day, I would love a cheeseburger and like brats are great as well. I like those things. But when my expectation is barbecue and you're giving me like frozen burger patties, it's like, okay, like this is different. So that was the first experience. Second time, the same thing happened. I was still fooled. They called, they invited me to a barbecue. I showed up still expecting barbecue sauce and smoked meats, and it wasn't. It was just a backyard grill out, which is fine, but don't lie to me and tell me there's going to be barbecue. And so fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But I still fell for it a third time. I showed up and it was still like, hey, come over to our barbecue. It's still just a grill out. So I began to change my mindset. I said, okay, you know what? I need to change my thoughts so that I can change my experience. Uh, next time someone invited me to a barbecue, I said, well, what kind of food are you going to have? And they said, we're going to have burgers and dogs. And I said, great, I'll be there. And I, gave them, and I was so excited to have burgers and dogs because it was very kind of them to provide that food to me for free. And I ate it happily because I changed my expectation. I changed my thought and it, it changed my experience. I changed my thought. It didn't change the circumstance. It didn't, you know, the burgers were still burgers. They didn't have barbecue sauce on them. They weren't slow cooked. Um, but I changed my thoughts and it changed my experience because I, I was a little more in line with what was happening. Similarly, we can change our thoughts about what the Lord is doing in our life. We can change our thoughts about who he's made us to be. We can even change our thoughts about what his character is. And it can really begin to change our experience. Uh, it doesn't necessarily change our circumstances. It doesn't, you know, just because we think positive thoughts, now our world isn't rainbows and butterflies. It doesn't do that. But the way we experience it, uh, the peace that we experience, going back to Philippians, the peace that we experience begins to, to change the way that things unfold and the way that we experience them unfolding. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, the gravest question before church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. He continues to say, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that comprise the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. And we see that this is because as it plays out, like our thoughts affect our experiences. And so as we think about God is how we begin to experience God. And as we think about ourselves is how we begin to experience us in our relationship with God. And so it's important to have the right thinking and, the, and to understand the true character and nature of God so that we can experience him how he actually is. Our thoughts about God will dictate how we allow God to respond to us. If I think that God is merciful and kind, I will run towards him. When, when things go wrong in my life, if my picture of God in my mind is that he is merciful and kind, no matter what I do, I know I'm running to a merciful and kind God. And he's going to be there with open arms, and that's going to be like the way I expect to experience him. But if my mental picture of God is that he is angry and distant, that is not someone you want to run to when you've had a bad day. That's not someone that you want to run to when uh, you've made a mistake or a poor choice. Instead, that's the person that you hide from. 
if, you're, if your mental image of God, if how you're thinking about God is that he is angry and he's going to smite someone and throwing lightning bolts, that's not what the Bible describes as the kindness that brings us to repentance. That's the wrath that scares us away. And that's not biblical. Like That's not God's character. It's his love that draws us in. And so we have to begin to, to retrain some of those things in our mind. If I think that God is the type of person that holds a grudge, if God is like my grandmother and like, she's not going to listen to the podcast, so it's fine. I can say this. Um, she holds a grudge better than anyone I've ever met. And if I project that on to God, our father, and I say, oh, he is the type of person to hold a grudge, then it's going to make it really hard for me to receive his forgiveness because I am, I'm thinking about him in a way where I think that he's always thinking back to the last wrong thing that I did. And if I project that onto him, then my experience is like, oh, well, God isn't forgiving because that's how I'm thinking about him. But if instead, on the other side of that, if I'm thinking that my God is a God who forgives instantly and not only forgives instantly, but separates like my sin as far as the east is from the west and even chooses to no longer remember it. It's not that he's a forgetful God, but he actively chooses to no longer remember those things that we've done. Then it makes it so easy for me to run to him, to accept that sort of forgiveness, and even to begin to forgive myself. But there's this thing, when we're still perfecting our image of God in our minds, where when we make a mistake, or we do something wrong, or we fall short of perfection, as I often do, when we do that, we have this tendency to sort of put ourselves in time out. To say like, oh, I can't experience God's love or his presence. I need to sort of punish myself for what I did. Um, And when we do that, it's because we're having a a poor image, a poor thought, an inaccurate thought of the true nature of God. We are separating ourselves. God's not separating us. We are separating ourselves because we're not seeing God as instantly forgiving, as unconditionally loving. We aren't seeing that. Instead, we're thinking about him as like, ah, he's probably still upset. Like, I should give him some time to cool off. And that's affecting how we allow him to respond to us because we purposefully distance ourselves. Much similar to how we saw Adam and Eve unfold in the, in the Garden of Eden. They sinned, and they realized, oh no, we did a wrong thing. So they went and they hid themselves. They weren't focused on the true nature of God, that God loves us unconditionally. God loves us no matter what. Instead, in that moment, they were thinking, oh, we really blew it. We better distance ourselves from God. And so because of the way that we think about God, it changes the way we allow God to respond to us because we are purposely distancing ourselves. As I was writing this, uh, I really felt like there was someone here tonight that needs to begin to forgive themselves. There is something going on that maybe like you haven't fully forgiven yourself for, and you're projecting that onto God thinking that God hasn't forgiven you for it. Uh, And that's a heavy weight to carry, to think that there is something that you did that uh, God hasn't forgiven me for this yet. I've got to carry it a little bit longer so I can't be happy with myself because I'm sure he's not happy with me. That's, that's totally wrong. He delights in you no matter what. Like he is so excited about you. He is so proud of you. He's so in love with you. And as you begin to understand that, as you begin to come into alignment with the true nature of God, like in your thoughts, then that begins to change even how you, how you love yourself. When you realize that God loves me this much, like why shouldn't I love myself as much as well? Okay, so projecting our thoughts onto God, we do this. Our thoughts about God will dictate how we allow God to respond to us. If I think God is not able or willing to heal, I won't ask him for healing. 
It, there are people who believe that like, the gifts are no longer for today. They don't think that like, healing and those things happen. And so they don't see God heal. And it's almost this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense of, I don't think God can heal, so I don't ask God to heal, so I don't see God heal. And it further reinforces their belief that God doesn't heal. But for those of us on the other side of things where it's like, no, 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 we know God is a healer, we ask him to heal, and then we see him heal, it further reinforces our belief that, that God loves to heal, that that's like what he's about, that's his business, and business is good, and he's doing it, and it's great. And we sort of see this play out. If you, if you flip to Luke chapter 7, we see this story unfold of someone who wasn't even really the target audience of Jesus' ministry. There's this Gentile, this Roman officer, um, who at, time, at the time, like, his group of people that he represented were a bit at odds with the Israelites. But the story unfolds like this. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. He said, if anyone deserves your help, he does. They said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So that's sort of the background of the story. Verse six, so Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. I want to pause here for a second. Here's this Roman officer. Um, he asked some of his Jewish friends to talk to the rabbi that's been around, to talk to Jesus, and to say, hey, Jesus, like, I've got this guy who's sick. I need you to come, and, and I need you to, to heal him. And so the Jewish people go to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, like, there's this guy. We really like him. We need you to, you know, heal his, his servant. And so Jesus is like, okay, I can do that. Like, I'll work it into my itinerary. He starts to travel to that guy's house. The Roman officer finds out that Jesus is coming to his house and he kind of has a freak out moment. He's like, no, 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 like the house isn't clean. Like we can't do this. Like things aren't in order. And so he sends out like a delegation to go and to meet Jesus on the road. And they say this to Jesus. They say, Jesus, like, you know, we're not worthy. You don't need to come and and give us the honor. Um, What's interesting is they refer to him even like from the Roman officer's perspective, they refer to him as Lord. Like there's this already this thought you see unfolding of the Roman officer recognizes the character of of Jesus, that he's not just a man, but he is God. So refers to him as Lord, says I'm not worthy, and then goes on to talk about this authority concept where he's recognizing that Jesus has authority and he's doing all this. He says, I know how authority works. I'm an officer. I've got people above me and below me. and He does all this. In verse 9, we continue the story, and it says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, in my mind, it takes a lot to amaze God. Like, Jesus was around for the whole creation of the world. He was speaking it into existence. Like, that, to me, sounds amazing. And now here's Jesus, uh, born as a man, and he, he meets a guy, and he says, No, this is amazing. And I'm like, Jesus, you saw, like, the world formed, and you saw dinosaurs, and you saw all that. And Jesus is amazed by this. He continues... Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friend returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. Now the Roman officer, what we can infer from this story is the Roman officer had a thought about Jesus. 
he thought that Jesus was Lord and he thought that Jesus was able and willing to heal. And that was his thoughts. And he operated in those thoughts and those thoughts became words and he talked to some of the Jewish leaders and those words became an action. Jesus was now moving to his house to come and bring healing to his, to his servant. And those actions became a, a reality, became an experience that the Roman officer's servant was healed. So we see how thoughts, I think that Jesus is Lord, I think that Jesus is willing and able to heal, become an experience. It was determining how Jesus was able to respond to that Roman officer. Was able to respond to a situation, was able to respond to his life because of the Roman officer's thoughts. Let's contrast that now with a story in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus has just finished up a bunch of really great ministry times. And in verse 53, this is now Matthew 13, 53, we pick it up and it says, When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He just finished a very successful uh, traveling ministry, and he's now headed back to his home. It says in verse 54, he returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? But verse 55, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles here because of their unbelief. So on one hand, you've got a Roman officer who his thoughts, as we assume, was I I recognize Jesus, I think of him as Lord, and I think of him as willing and able to heal And therefore, the experience that unfolded from those thoughts was healing for his servant. And on the other side, you've got a bunch of Israelites, people who who understand the Bible probably even better than the Roman officer did, and yet they see Jesus and they're offended by him and they refuse to believe. And their thoughts are, who does this guy think he is? We saw him grow up. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know his mom and his dad. He ain't nobody special. And in doing so, like they, they shut themselves off from an incredible blessing of healing and miracles and getting to see some, some phenomenal signs and wonders because of their thoughts. Because their thoughts became words and their words became actions and it unfolded to this experience of, of rejecting God and rejecting Jesus. And Jesus in that moment was like, well, that's all I can do. And so he went on to the next place and was received openly and did a bunch of incredible things. And it was because of the thoughts. Our thoughts have the power to affect the way that we allow God to respond to us. If I think that God is not able to or willing to heal, I will not ask him for healing. If that's my thought of God, if I project that onto God and I say, oh, well, he couldn't do that. He couldn't heal my cancer. Sometimes we find ourselves on both ends of the spectrum. Like it's a small headache. And so we're like, ah, well, God's not interested in healing my headache. And so we take some ibuprofen and like, we're better. And it's like, well, it's okay. Then there's other times we're on the other side of the spectrum. We're like, oh, like stage four cancer. Like that's a big one. Like, I don't know if God can really handle that. And in both ways, like we are severely limiting the way that we are allowing God to respond to our situation. God is totally able and willing to heal in both of those. But sometimes like, we really shut ourselves off from that because of the, of the thoughts that we have and the way that we project the image and the character of God 
by not being true to the word of God, but instead creating our own version of who God is, that, oh, well, he's kind of weak and he's really busy and like, I don't want to inconvenience him with like my need. So like, I just won't mention it. And that's so wrong. That's so contrary to scripture. Our thoughts about God will, will dictate how we allow God to respond to us. If I think of God as a manager, I only ask him for things pertaining to my assignment. If I think of him in a, in a working environment uh, of like a servant-master relationship where he's managing the tasks that have been assigned, a lot of times we talk about calling and purpose, and if in my mind it's like, okay, well, I, I have to witness to these many people, and I have to do this many good things, and I have to read my Bible this many times, and if I begin to respond to God and to think of God as he is my task manager, he is my supervisor, uh, he is my, like, I'm servant and he's master, if that's only the way that we, we picture him, then our, our conversation with him is only related to our task at hand, is only related to the things that we need. We're saying, okay, God, like, I, I need this uh, expense approved, and it's work-related, I promise, and, you know, we're filling out these sort of paperworks to get these things But if we think of God as a father, it totally changes how we regard him. We're not just talking to him about the business. We're not just talking to him about work-related expenses. We're not just talking to him about the tasks at hand. Instead, we're having like authentic relationship with him. It's not just the supervisor where like you laugh at his jokes because your job depends on it. It's, it's no longer that shallowness. It's, instead, it's rich and it's inviting and it's welcoming and it's beautiful because our thoughts about him is like, oh, well, he's my father and he loves me. Um, recently, Ryan Kate, my 16-month-old, uh, she was outgrowing her shoes. 16-month-olds grow very, very quickly and surprisingly so. And so she was outgrowing her shoes. Uh, she's got this white pair of shoes that she loves to wear. She'll like pick them up and, and like hold out her foot and be like, put these on me? Like, and then she'll even like try and put on Luna's shoes and it's really cute, super adorable. She was outgrowing her shoes, and we could tell, like, oh, these are getting snug on you. Like, we got to toss these out and get a new pair. So we went to the mall one day, um, but in driving to the mall, um, Ryan Kate fell asleep. Rule number one is don't wake a baby. Like, in parenting, that is rule number one. Do not wake your baby. So she was asleep in the car, and so I told Luna, you know what? You go ahead and run in. I'm just going to sit in the car, and, like, I'll read a book or, like, whatever. But the baby's asleep, and we're not waking the baby. So Luna ran in. We got the shoes. She came back. Uh, and then we drove somewhere else, but we were somewhere now, and like or Ryan Kate needed to put on the shoes to like go in the building or whatever the activity was that we're doing. I don't remember, but I remember taking her old shoes off. She's still sleeping in her car seat, taking her old shoes off and putting her new shoes on her, um, and getting excited to be able to bless her with something that she enjoyed. She likes shoes. I just gave her a new pair of shoes that were more comfortable, that were cleaner, nicer, they didn't smell. She's also been doing this thing where she holds up her feet and I smell them and I say, ooh, stinky, and she's like, oh, stinky, and she says it back. I was able to give her a new pair of shoes that weren't stinky, that looked nice, that fit better, and I was able to bless her. She was asleep. She didn't even realize I took the old ones off, put the new ones on. We unbuckled her from the car seat, put her on my shoulder, carried her in. She didn't even realize she had new shoes, but it blessed me in the giving. It pleased me to give her something that she liked because I'm her father. Now, if our image of God is that he is just our manager, he's just our supervisor, you know, like while we're on on earth, we've got these jobs and these responsibilities, and we can only really ask him for things that pertain to that. Like, I can't ask him for anything that I need. I can't ask him for new shoes, but I could probably pray for that missionary because that's work-related. That's, you know, ministry-related. The Lord would like that. We aren't responding to God as a father. 
But if our thoughts of God is that he is a father and that he loves us, then it changes totally how we respond to him. Because now it's not just, okay, God, like this missionary needs something and don't worry about me, I'll, I'll be okay, but this missionary needs something. Instead, it's like, oh, God, like these shoes are kind of worn out and they're stinky and they're getting too small. And it is his joy to give us a new pair of shoes. And sometimes we, we shut God off from that because we think like, oh, I, like, I don't deserve a new pair of shoes. Like these pair of shoes are fine. And we almost like rob God from the joy of giving us something because we're robbing our dad from the joy of, of getting to provide something incredible for his son or his daughter. Ryan Kate isn't able to thank me yet. She can't really speak in words. And so the gift that I give her isn't for my accolades. It's not for my praise. I'm not giving her something because I, I want her to tell me how good it made her feel. And I'm not even giving her something because I have to. Like, she had other shoes. We just really liked that pair. Like, those were cool. And so I gave that to her because that was my joy to give that to her. And so when I begin to think of my Heavenly Father in a way that is true to his nature and his character, he responds to himself as Father. He calls himself Father. He wants to be seen as a Father. When I begin to understand that, oh, like, my God actually wants to give me gifts. My Heavenly Father actually wants to bless me with something because he loves me and because it's his joy, not because it's going to help me win more souls, but just because he loves me and that's enough. And that totally changes things because our thoughts will affect how we allow God to respond to us. If I think that God is wealthy and generous, I will ask him for abundance. But if I think that God is poor and stingy, I will not ask for much. And it kind of sounds ridiculous to think of God as poor and stingy. Like, oh, he's God. Like, he's not poor. And yet I still find myself sort of following into this. Um, there was a, uh, back in um, August, I have it written down in my journal. I was in the prayer room and I was praying and I was like, okay, God, like, I've got this bill coming up and, and I need some money for this bill. And the dialogue that I had with God was, al- was almost alarming. Like, it caught me off guard. It wasn't my normal, like, back and forth with him. But I said, Lord, I need, I need this small amount for this bill. I don't have it right now. It was unexpected. I didn't plan for it. I didn't budget for it. So I need, I need some help. I need, you know, Dad, help me. And the conversation unfolded very quickly. But what he got to was he sort of took me through this process of, how, like, do you think that's all that I could give you? I, had, I needed, the bill was for, like, let's say $1,000. And I had, like, 500 And I was like, God, I just, I just need 500 and he's like, do you not think I could give you the whole 1000 And I was like, well, I mean, I guess you could. Like, you're God. Like, I get it. Like, you've got, probably got more than $1,000. And he was like, do you think I could give you $2,000? And I was like, probably. And he said, what amount do you think is, like, my cap of, like, that's really going to put me in a financial, financial situation? Like, ooh, like, that's tight. I don't know if I could give you that. And it was funny, but in that moment, like it it hit deep in my heart of like, I don't know, God, like I've limited you in my mind. And so I was like 10,000. Like I think outside of 10,000, like I don't think the Lord could give me above $10,000. And that was an honest, like I was being honest with myself that like, God, I don't trust you enough either in your love or in your abundance to give me more than 10,000. And he, and he, And he hit me so hard with his love. 
and he hit me so hard with the reality of who he was that it was so much bigger than that. And then he took me a step further and he said, what if, what if I told you I could give you $50,000? And I was like, I don't know if I'd believe it. And he said, how long do you think it would take? And I was like, and, and my first thought, my like, knee jerk was like, for me, I've got a couple different bank accounts and sometimes I've got to like, you know, sort of rob Peter to pay Paul and like move things around. And it's like, okay, like this one doesn't clear. So like, okay, I can move this around and I can sort of juggle things. So in my head, like my initial response was because that's what I do. I thought, well, if you were really going to bless me with 50,000, it would take a week because you'd have to move it from one account to the other. <laughs> that was what I thought. I honestly thought that. And it was just, it, all of this happened really quick because like no sooner I thought that, I realized that's ridiculous. And then the Lord laughed at me and he said, yes, that is ridiculous. That's not how the kingdom of God works. I don't have to, I don't have several bank accounts and I'm not strapped for cash. <laughs> and it was ridiculous but I realized in those moments, like I was cutting myself off from the blessing of the Lord because I'd projected my own lack onto him. I'd projected my own lack onto him. And how ridiculous was that? There's a poet, uh, his name is Jesse Rittenhouse, and he wrote this. He says, I bargained with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty score. For life is a just employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. I don't think it's so cut and dry to just paste God in there where it says life. I don't, I don't think God works this way. Um, but I think that there's a universal truth hidden in this poem that, that yeah, like, our thoughts really do affect our experiences. And if we go through life expecting that life will be hard work and terrible ground, and we're going to have to really work at it, and we're still under the curse, and, and, and if we think those things, I think that will play out to our experiences. I think that will be how we experience life. If we think that God is a penny pincher, and he's you know, similar to the way a lot of ministries are run, where it's this shoestring budget, and he can't afford it, then I think that's what our experience will play out. But I think if we begin to expand our minds and our thinking about who God is and his true character, then not only is he a loving father that wants to give us good gifts, but he actually has more than enough resource to not just bless me and then you all have to go without, but to bless all of us, I think that will begin to affect our experiences. As you could probably guess, from sort of my interactions with God and sharing some of my, my personal stories, I, I, am, I am actively fighting a lack mentality. Other people call it a poverty mentality. It's this thing that says that there isn't enough to go around for everyone, and so sometimes I have to do without. A, a poverty mentality plays out like this in a few different ways. Number one, it, it focuses on my lack instead of God's abundance. Instead of being God-focused and magnifying God and, and looking towards God and saying that God has everything, and instead of focusing on that, it focuses on my lack. It focuses on the bills that I have. It focuses on uh, the, the lack of, of commas or zeros in the bank account. It focuses on those things, on my lack, instead of God's abundance. That's poverty mentality, number one. Number two, it's threatened by others' blessings. A poverty mentality, someone battling with a poverty mentality will be threatened by other people's blessings because at the root, they don't think there's enough to go around for everyone. They don't think that God is big enough or good enough or, or abundant enough to bless everyone. And so someone else's blessing means that I'm missing out. 
And, uh, and we saw this play out just this Tuesday. We were in pastor's prayer. And this week, uh, the high school has been using some of our facility for AP testing. High schoolers are taking advanced placement testing to try and get college credit. And we're uh, able to open up the, <laughs> Pastor Mike laughs, we're able to open up our building to let them use it. When, uh, when we were pulling in, the pastors were pulling in, the, the students were already here. All their cars were already parked in the parking lot. And uh, Pastor Aaron was the one who, who said this. But man, it, it stung like exactly where my heart was. And so I'm not, this is not him. This is still me. But he said, I almost got mad when I saw all the cars in the parking lot because here are these 16 and 17 year olds driving, driving nicer cars than me. And it was so true because it's like, they've got like, you know, 2016, like Jeep Commander and like Land Rovers and like these nice trucks. And it's like, I walked to work on Monday and it's like, that's where, that's where I'm at. And so I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, oh, like they've got nice cars. Like, I'm a, I'm a full-grown adult, and, like, they haven't done anything to contribute to society. And I felt this, like, lack rising up, this poverty mentality that would say, like, I can't celebrate their blessing because I'm too lack-focused. I can't celebrate their blessing, and I can't praise God that, oh, man, that's so great that they have generous parents who are, who are setting an incredible example of the generosity of our Father God. I can't celebrate that because I'm too focused on my own lack. How sad is that? Number three, a poverty mentality holds tightly to things now because of fear of lack in the future. Holds tightly to things now because of fear of lack in the future. Uh, these are your hoarders. Uh, you see them on the, on the TV show, and you think, how could someone ever be like that? It's an extreme example of a poverty mentality that says, I can't let anything go because I may not be able to get it back in the future. I went on a missions trip one time, and uh, the Lord really did a lot in my heart. Mission trips are absolutely incredible. If you haven't been to one, I'd really encourage you to go. Um, our, uh, the, our church is going to send out five this fall. And so you can take your pick. We're not even going to force you to just do one. You can do all of them. Actually, you can't. There's overlap. But you have your choice. You could pick from one. And so I went on this mission trip. And, um, and on day one, we arrived and we're jet lagged. And it was like weird and like cultural differences. And it was crazy. And it was hot and all these things that like weren't going well. Um, but, but we made it through the day and we went to sleep and then we woke up day two. We had a breakfast and it was okay. And then we went out and we started doing things during the afternoon. And then it got close to when like my body said it was lunchtime, but like because of time change, it wasn't quite lunchtime. So I was just like, be quiet body. Like we're working for the Lord. And then like, we got a little bit farther into it. And then it was actually like the local times lunchtime. And so, like, I'm very hungry, but I'm noticing, like, no one is stopping to eat, and I'm just sort of like, oh, like, okay, like, maybe we'll just eat later. And then, like, the whole day goes by, and we just, like, we didn't, like, make time for lunch. There was just, like, oh, like, here's a granola bar if you're going to pass out. Like, but we got to keep going. Like, we're out in the bush and all this random stuff. So then we get back to, for, to the, like, the, the base camp for dinner, and, like, I eat a big dinner. So the next morning I wake up, and I have this fresh in my mind of, like, didn't eat lunch yesterday. And so when breakfast came by, like I had two helpings because it's, because I was like, I don't know when I'm going to eat again. And so I told the people at my table, I was like, eat up boys. Like we don't know when our next meal is going to come. And in that moment, like that was another like beautiful example where the Lord is like helping me through this. And he was like, that's lack. And it's, and on one hand, it was also kind of wisdom of like, yeah, but we should eat some more because we really don't know when we're going to eat. But when I carry that perspective back with me, like to the States, where like my pantry is filled and yet I still feel like I have to eat a lot because it's like, oh, I don't know when my next meal is. Like, 
Like that is such a, a lack mentality. I've never gone without. There's this beautiful uh, verse in Psalms where he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. And that is like, that is perfect of my life. Like there were times when my family's had, family has had a lot. And there's been times when my family has not had a lot and we've still never gone without food. Like we've always had meals on the table. That's just never been a negotiable. It's, it's, you always have food. And so it's, it's something that the Lord is actively working in my, in my life of like, okay, well, why do I still have all this lack mentality? Why do I have this poverty mentality? Why can't I celebrate other people's blessings? And why am I projecting um, a shortness or a lack onto God? Like, why can't I see his abundance? And so my thoughts are affecting the way that the, I'm allowing the Lord to, to respond to me and in my life and the way that I'm opening myself up for blessing. But what I'm finding in this journey with the Lord is that the antidote to poverty is a generous heart. Like the antidote to a poverty mentality is generous giving. Because the thing that that inside of me, the poverty and the lack that wants to control everything, control is another one of those things that sort of like, maybe you got some lack. It's control. And so when I'm able to give, even though I don't know like, Oh, like things are a little bit tight, but I'm still going to choose to be generous because that's who God's created me to be and who he's called me to be. When I can do that, I'm actively destroying that lack mentality because I'm not relying on myself. Instead, I'm saying, okay, God, I'm choosing to acknowledge that you're a good father. You're never going to let me go without. And I'm choosing to acknowledge that you have more than enough to not only bless that person, but to bring it back to bless me a hundredfold. Uh, Ephesians 3.20, even above and beyond what I could ask or imagine. And so, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to step out and I'm going to, I'm going to crush this poverty mentality, this lack mentality by choosing to be a generous giver. There was um, this incredible, incredible missionary. Uh, his name is Brother Wayne Myers. And he used to come and, and visit the school that I attended. And his whole life motto was live to give. And he exemplified it incredibly with uh, his, his life. 60 years on the mission field. He's now in his 90s and he's still um, in full-time ministry. Uh, doing missions to Mexico, living in Mexico City. He, he doesn't really own anything except for one suit. Uh, he has an apartment that's on loan to him, and um, he just like takes a taxi because every time someone tries to give him something, he just gives it away. Uh, he's given away homes. He's given away planes. He's given away cars. He's given away so much. He has given away more than I'll probably ever own, and it's because he's chosen to live generously that the Lord continues, like, the Lord has said, oh, I can trust Brother Wayne Myers because anything I put in his hand, he's just going to give it to someone else who needs it. And, and yet the strangest thing is he has less than I do, and he is further from lack than I am. I want you to understand that. He has, he has less than I do, and he is further from lack than I am. Not only because in my heart and in my mind I'm still battling with this, but also because in my trying to hoard it and hold on to it, it's almost like sand in your hand. Like the tighter you squeeze, the more it runs through your fingers. But because Wayne Myers holds everything with an open hand, he's become my hero in generosity because he's never without. He has, he has better opportunities. He has better meals. He has more favor. He has more abundance. He has more finances. He has more access to things more than I do because he gives away even more. And it's, and it's such an incredible example of, of, of defeating a, a lack mentality with active generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, 
It says this, and God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's a promise of God that we can stand on. And so I have to use that to, to recalibrate my idea of God. God isn't in lack. He's not going to leave me without. Instead, I can stand on the scripture. God will generously provide all that I need. Then I will always have everything I need and plenty left over to share with others. There's another translation of this verse that says it even better. In the ESV, again, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Man, that is a scripture that is ripe with promise, that is like just abundant with abundance, if I can say that. It is, he says all so many times, you almost think it's a mistake. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I am, I am moving towards, and again, I'm in process. This isn't just a, a switch that you flip in your head and it's like, oh, I used to be bad and then like, I decided I'd be great and now I'm really good at giving. Like I was bad, but now I'm really good. It's, you know, it's a process that we walk through. And so in this process, I am trying to arrive at a place where I can abound in every good work. I believe that God's, that is God's calling on my life that I could be in a financial situation where I could abound in every good work. And not even just with my, with my money, but even with my time, uh, with my talents, with everything that I have and everything that God's given me, I could abound in every good work. I got this phone call about a week ago now uh, from a guy named Ramey. Ramey's a really cool guy. Um, he grew up in sort of the southeast and uh, went to college in Georgia, then got saved um, from a family that he met. He saw their life and was wowed by their example of love. And so he just said, like, I, I got to have what you have. They explained Christ uh, to him, and they were like, he was like, that's incredible. I want that. So then he got saved, uh, moved to Texas, um, started attending like some churches, got radically transformed, went on 11-month missions trip uh, to change the world, came back and realized, like, okay, I've got to help these people that I met around the world. I need to understand more. So then he went to um, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, got his master's in uh, theology, his MDiv, I think it's called, and, uh, and then like now started this company called Teach the Story. He said that Western culture, most of the sermons is three points in a poem, and you send them home. But in Eastern cultures, specifically India, which is really where the burden is on his heart, um, you have to teach with stories. Uh, Eastern way of understanding is very similar to how Jesus taught with parables. And so his methodology is that he goes to India and he trains pastors on how to teach by equipping them with stories that can teach. So instead of like showing them like, oh, like you need to understand the Greek and the Hebrew. No, no, no. Like they don't have time for that. Like just teach a really good story. So he called me and he said, Andrew, I've got this incredible opportunity. I'm going to be taking this trip. Um, I need to raise some more money so that we can reach some more pastors so that instead of just changing one life of getting one salvation, I can equip pastors to change hundreds of lives. And I said, that's awesome, Ramey. I want to be a part of it. That night I was going to go home, talk with Luna, pray about like, okay, how much can we give? Like, what can we afford to give? And then what can we like stretch ourselves to give a little bit more? Because again, like I'm fighting, fighting lack mentality with, uh, with active generous giving. That same day, before I got a chance to talk to her, I got a notice in the mail that um, my home has increased in value and the tax appraiser noticed. And now my escrow account is, um, is like, uh, it has a $1,500 negative balance in it. So I now owe my mortgage company an extra $1,500 unplanned because the taxes hit and it was way more than it was anticipated. 
So it's like, oh, okay, God, I really wanted to give to Ramey, but now I've got a bill in the same day. Like, I don't know if it's coincidence, but it really feels like a little bit more than coincidence. And so in the same day, I'm hit with apparent lack and opportunity to be generous. And it took me, a, it took me a full week to really decide like what I wanted to do because I was looking at it and I was like, $1,500 of unplanned expenses, someone that's going to go like do a missionary thing. And it's like, ah, oh, like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? It's really hard. If your thoughts of God is that he's stingy and there isn't enough and that he's lack and that he's not a good father, if we have all these misconceptions of who God is, it's very easy to say, I need to take care of myself today. I'll help Ramey later. I need to, I need to pay my bill. But if our, if our thoughts of God is that he is good and he is faithful and he's never left me without and he has more than enough to go around, then I can choose to be a blessing and still have my bills paid. But I have to stop thinking I can't afford to help and I have to begin thinking, how can I afford to help? What do I need to change in my life to be able to help? How can I afford to help? Because as soon as I say I can't afford to help, I completely shut God off from the equation. As soon as I say I can't afford to be generous, then I've, I've created no room for God to step in and show his faithfulness or show his generosity or show his provision because I've cut myself off and I've said, no, my thoughts are dictating my experiences and my thoughts say that, that I can't afford it. But if I start to dream with God and I say, okay, God, here we are. We've got an incredible opportunity to help a missionary do some incredible work overseas how are we going to be able to afford it? What sort of creative financing are you going to do? What kind of interesting thing are you going to have happen that's now going to be able to allow me to be a blessing and to pay my bill? What are you going to do, God? And, and to really kind of put it on him. You're the good father. You're the dad, not me. Like, RK doesn't take care of our bills at home. She trusts me to do it. And so how do I, how do, I do that? Understanding, like, God is my father. How do I say, okay, God, like, how are you going to meet this need and provide for this generous opportunity. How are you going to? How are you going to? How are you going to make it so that I can abound in every good work? That's what I want to arrive to. Okay. It's eight twenty-nine. I still have another three pages of notes. Five more minutes. Oh, that one's five minutes fast. Okay. I have five more minutes and three pages worth of notes. Um, okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, that's sweet of you. Um, let, me, let me just jump to some of these key points. I've talked a lot about the abundance of God. And at the, at the basis of this, I want you to understand that our thoughts really affect how we allow God to respond in our lives, how we open ourselves up um, to see him move and to be faithful and to be, provi- to be providing and, and to be that loving father that takes care. But I want you to understand that abundance isn't just um, name it and claim it like prosperity gospel. That's, that's not my thinking. This isn't just like, oh, like the Lord wants to bless me. So like everybody gets Ferraris. I believe that the abundance is for your season. Um, The abundance is for your lane. It's for like where you are in life. And we see this play out through the Old Testament. Even Joseph, when he was sent to prison, um, wrongly, might I add, he's in prison 
the Lord's abundance was still on him because he was raised to be the overseer of all the other prisoners. Uh, he was given the emotional grace to, to be successful in that situation. He was given the, the abundant favor to have favor with the guards, to be in a place where he could oversee. He was given that trust. It was still abundance, but it was the abundance for that season. It wasn't a mansion on the hill. It wasn't fine clothes. It was still a jail cell, but it was still kind of a level of abundance. And so for me in my life, my abundance in this season, making a a pastor's wage in an expensive county and an affluent city, my abundance isn't a Corvette or like a helicopter. That's That's not my abundance. My abundance is like my family has a nice house and we drive a nice car and we eat good food and we don't have credit card debt. And despite all those conditions, we're still able to give generously and faithfully. That's abundance for my season. That making a household income that is less than half of the median uh, income for the city that we live in, I can still afford to do all those things and not have credit card debt and still give faithfully. That is abundance. On paper, it doesn't make sense, but that's the Lord's provision in my life. It doesn't make sense that I could still have a similar lifestyle, that I don't have to like live in squalor, that I could still have like a nice middle-class existence um, and not have, to, not have to worry about where my next paycheck's going to come because of the Lord's provision and still be able to give in, in, in generosity, still be able to give faithfully. So abundance isn't just this name it and claim it and like we've all got mansions now. It's an abundance for your season and it's an abundance for where you're at. And even more than that, more than our abundance and more than the Lord's provision, he is interested in our, in our souls, in the condition of our hearts. I want to show you this in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. In the New King James Version, it says it really, really well. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Prosper in all things sounds really great. I want to prosper in all things. And I want to be in health. Health is good too. But prosper in all things and be in health. And then he says, just as your soul prospers. Excuse me. What I believe is that our soul prospering is priority number one. That the Lord cares more about the condition of our soul than he does the condition of our bank account. So when we're talking about abundance and we're talking about the Lord's faithful provision, it's always going to come in conjunction and in uh, accordance to the condition of our soul. I have prayed many a prayer, especially like as a younger man, um, Lord, give me a million dollars and I'd love to help out like all these other people, but Lord, give me a million dollars. And it's his goodness and his grace that he didn't answer that prayer. Because had he... Uh, I, would, I would not have been dependent on God. I would not have needed to trust God. He wouldn't have walked me through the things that he's walked me through of dealing with a lack mentality. If we were to, if we continue this thinking of like windfall and like lottery mentality of like, I just need the Lord to give me one big, one big gift and then like that'll set everything straight. If we do that, I honestly believe it would crush us. It would deteriorate our soul. We wouldn't be in the process that God is taking us to to, to to bring us to the people that he's called us to be. And so instead, his provision looks like a little bit at a time. Not because of his lack, but because of the condition of my soul. If the Lord isn't, isn't doing the things that I trust that in his true and perfect nature he should be doing, I need to look inside at the condition of my soul. 
Am I asking with wrong motives? As James writes in the book of James. Am I asking with wrong motives? Am I doing something that is, that is sort of separating me from where I think that the true nature of God would, would want me to be? It's, it's the condition of my soul. He says, may you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. It's really hard for God to, to bless us if we're in a place where like our soul isn't prospering. If we're in a place where we're distant from God, where we're far from God, where we can't be trusted with much because we've been unfaithful with little, all of these things play into this. And with this, I want you to understand that, that the, the truth of God is held in attention. So we've talked about abundance, but there's also the truth of like hard work and, and diligence. We, God is both um, grace and righteousness. He is both mercy and truth, justice and forgiveness, kindness and correction. He is our friend and he is sovereign Lord. Like the the truth of God is held in this tension. And so it's not just like name it and claim it. Lord wants to bless us. Like let's all go like buy a bunch of things. He's going to take care of the bills. No, no, no. It's like, it's this tension of walking with the Lord in step and understanding what Holy Spirit is doing in the moment, being connected with him, allowing him to work on our hearts and on our souls to be in a process to arrive at abundance so that we can be a blessing to others. In the Old Testament, the, the favor of God, um, the Israelites, the people in covenant with God was always seen in, in like a physical manifestation of wealth. But in the New Testament, we see it uh, not just for ourselves, not just the covenant people of God having blessings for themselves to be comfortable. Instead, we see it as a mandate to be a blessing to others so that we can show the love of God to others. So it's very different. It's not just name it and claim it like, ah, oh, we're all getting a car for our own comfort. It's blessed to be a blessing so that we can show the true nature of God, the love of God, and the kindness of God that brings others to repentance. That's the, that's the whole point of it. But it always rests on the condition of our soul that we'd prosper in all things and be in health just as our soul prospers. So let me pray for you tonight for a prosperous soul, for um, the ability to fight a lack mentality with generous giving, and that you would have a right view of God, true thoughts about his true character and nature, so that it would begin to, to play out in the experiences that you have every day. Father God, we are so thankful uh, for what you are illuminating by the power of your spirit in your word. Father, I pray that as we go home, Lord, we would marinate on where we are at. Father, that we would have some honest conversations with you, like I did with, of the like, where are we at? Are we struggling with a lack mentality? Are, are we saying things that are laughable because it's not true to your character and your goodness? Father, help us to identify and even diagnose the, the condition of our soul. Lord, help us to understand where we are in, in seeing you as you really are. Are we, are, do we have our own version of you that we're praying to, that we're worshiping, or, or do we have a, a fairly reasonable picture of who you actually are. Lord, help us in this process. Lord, you're not just a genie in the bottle that we're going to ask for things from, but Lord, you are inviting us on a process to become more like you, to become generous, and to live in abundance. And so, Father, help us to steward well, help us to walk into wisdom, and help us to be all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. I hope that this blessed you, and I hope that you guys have a great week.